It is good to be back with you all. I feel like it was just yesterday I was here. And um, the only regret is that uh, Stephanie and the kids, they couldn't make this trip. But they do send their greetings and uh, wanted me to say hello. And, and they look forward to seeing you on the next trip. Uh, so they'll be here, Lord willing, uh, for the March as well as April, and then we'll officially be here in May. And uh, so, (laughs) and as I said, uh, my last visit, um, I'll say it again, uh, we are looking forward to being here. And I think every opportunity I get to interact with folks from the church, whether it's from afar or when I'm here, is just further confirmation that uh, the Lord is doing something, uh, not only here in faith, but in my own family's life. And so, so we're excited. We are excited. Um, continue to pray. Continue to pray as we are still searching for uh, houses and schools. And we are actually getting ready to put our house on the market in early March. And uh, houses are selling pretty quickly in our neighborhood. So we're hoping to be under contract fairly soon uh, thereafter. And I think we might be in a position uh, to start making offers here. Uh, So pray that the Lord will guide this whole process as we're continuing to look and pray. Amen? I'm excited about this morning's message Uh, The last message, I had a woe oracle, (laughs) which wasn't so fun. This morning, I have a salvation oracle. And uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, that being said, let me pray, and then we'll look to the word of the Lord this morning. Father, we bless your holy name, for you are our God. And we thank you, Father, for the fact that you have given us a word. And as we look at Micah's message this morning, we ask that your spirit would guide us, that your spirit would open our hearts, uh, open our eyes. We pray, Father, that your spirit would challenge, encourage, whatever it is that we need to hear from this message this morning. May your spirit provide abundantly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The scripture reading for this morning is taken from Micah chapter 5. And I want to read verses 1 through 6. Now, I am, I'm transitioning and Uh, I am not uh, in a place where I'm ready to make changes per se to services or to X, Y, and Z. But there is one thing that I would like to ask uh, uh, of you all even on this morning. And uh, that is that we stand, if you're physically able, uh, for the reading of the Lord's word. I don't know if this has been a practice or if this has been done from time to time, but... uh, I like to do this. I'm not legalistic about it. Uh, Okay. But uh, I would like uh, for this to occur. So 
I'll read, and then after I uh, finish reading, you can take your seat. Micah chapter 5, beginning at verse number 1, reads, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when he is, uh, when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our borders. Amen. You can take your seat. I wish to start this morning by asking a question for you to Ponder. You need not necessarily answer this out loud, but at least give it some thought. And the question is, what are the things that you, that we are looking forward to? What are the things that are in our minds or in our hearts that uh, we have yet to experience, that we have yet to lay hold of? And what are these things that, that we're looking forward to? It could be as such, salvation for a specific family member, something we're longing for, that we're hoping for. It could be deliverance uh, from addiction for a friend that we may have. It could be something maybe even on a lighter note, uh, maybe you're looking forward to kids being out of the house or Maybe it's retirement if you're not there yet, or uh, vacation. It could be, well, what are the things that you are looking forward to? And what creates this expectation? What creates this hope? In this passage, Micah is setting the stage for the people of God to have hope. Again, if, and if you've been here, you have seen in the preaching, you have heard, you have read that there are some difficult days ahead for God's people. But the prophet does not leave the people in despair because God is faithful. And God not only disciplines, but as we will see, he also restores. 
And so the people were being uh, not only challenged and rebuked and reminded of the fact that, yes, there will be difficult times that results from sin and rebellion against God. But do not despair. Do not give up hope because there is hope. And in this particular passage, this hope will be found in a specific person. Now, before we look at some larger uh, application points, let's, let's work through uh, the text a little bit. And let me say right off the top, beginning at verse number one, and you might see this as a matter of fact in some of your Bibles, uh, in the original Hebrew, verse one is actually verse number 14 of chapter four. And there are some who feels as if verse number one fits better with the preceding verses. Whether or not you wish to couple it with the preceding verses or with today's verses, the point remains the same. God's people will experience some great trouble. Exile is right around the corner. And not only will God's people experience trouble, but the judge or the king of Israel himself will be humiliated. So this is not just the people of God experiencing some trials and tribulations, but the leader, the one that they are to look to for deliverance and hope and protection, that king will also experience humiliation. And verse 1 sets the stage for a better king, for a new ruler with whom we need not worry about his uh, kingdom falling, so to speak. So verse 1, regardless of where you wish to put it, and commentators put it in a variety of places, or rather in, in uh, chapter 4 and some in chapter 5, the point remains the same. The stage is being set for this new and awesome ruler to come. So that being said, let's go straight to verse number two. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, what's interesting about this particular verse is it starts off with the location of the birthplace of this ruler to come. And living now this side of the cross, we look back and we think about Bethlehem and its uh, marvelous place because obviously the Savior was born there and we attach great significance to it. But in those particular days, specifically in the days of Micah, Bethlehem was not necessarily um, this great destination that everyone was looking forward to going to. In this text itself, there is a sense in which it is being referred to as a significant place, an uh, insignificant place, one that would have been glanced over. It says, as a matter of fact, uh, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. In other words, it would be from 
this insignificant place. It would be from uh, the most unexpected of areas from which this ruler would come. And this harkens back even to the days of David, as a matter of fact. David, who also comes from Bethlehem. David, who was not thought of as a, a king, someone who would be fit for king. He was the last of his brothers. He wasn't even brought in. And yet it was God's will to make the youngest the least likely to be king. And also in this passage, what is being said is when this ruler comes, he's going to come from the most unexpected of places. And isn't this a reminder of how God often does things that seem to be contrary to our own ways of thinking? God, we, we, we look for the best. We look for the brightest. We look for the strongest. And yet, when you read through the scriptures, God often chooses the weakest, the foolish, the most insignificant of places. I mean, what good can come from Nazareth? Oh, I know of someone good who can come from Nazareth. And so Micah is telling the people to, he's kind of giving them a glimpse of being mindful where you look for. Be mindful of where you go to find your salvation, so to speak. And also in verse number two, it goes on to talk about this, this, this time description. Now, we automatically think about this in its messianic form. And so we think about this ruler who's coming forth as, uh, from of old and from ancient days. We think of that in an eternal sense. And rightly so. We know that Christ himself is the eternal son of God. And with this being messianic, there is that sense. But if we are to think about a physical time and space, there are some commentators who will say that this also refers to the days of David and the Davidic covenant. When God promises to David that if you walk in my ways, if you follow my statutes, then there will never cease to be someone to sit upon your throne. And so if there is a physical uh, time that's in mind, that could be it. But of course, in its messianic form, we think about this ruler as one whose nature is eternal. Are you with me right quick? I'm trying to work through these prophecies so that we can get to some application. He goes on in verse number three. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. What's so interesting about this particular verse, you know, the Lord, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of reminding that though there's restoration to come, you're going to have to go through this exile. That's like Jesus on some level saying, you know, you're going you to ha enter the kingdom, but it's going to come through many trials and tribulations. Well, that's the same thing that's being conveyed in this particular verse. God is going to give up his people into exile. But know that they will not remain in exile forever. Know that trouble or trials or tribulations will not last forever. For the exile of the people will actually come to an end. And its end will be 
with the birth of this great ruler. So exile will happen, but know that there will be an end. It goes on in verse number four, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now shall be he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this is a way of describing, one, the work and ministry of this ruler, but also the benefits, which we'll get to a little bit later in the message. And then in verse number, uh, the rest of verse number five, when it talks about the Assyrians coming, and I won't necessarily read through rest of five and six, but this is a way of describing that the enemies of God's people will ultimately be defeated. The Assyrians, uh, and some commentators take this to be uh, the physical Assyrians, but then some say, well, this is just representative of the enemies of God's people uh, as a whole. But regardless of whether you take it as, as the physical Assyrians or more symbolic in nature, the reality is God's enemies, the people who stand opposed to God and his people, they will not last forever. And this is good news. This is great news. Now, what is it? What are some of the things? What are some of the applications? What are some of the angles that we can take from such a salvation oracle? There are a couple of things. There are a few things that I want us to think about. The first thing that I want us to take to mind is sin's role in creating the need for restoration. Why is it that these folks were going into exile? It was not because the Assyrians or in the Babylonian uh, captivity, it was not because these nations were so strong and mighty and they just decided, I'm going to go in and I'm going to take over all of Israel. I'm going to take over all of Judah. It wasn't because uh, of their own will. God himself is responding to the sins of his people. He is bringing about discipline. And we see this not just in the exile. We see this in various parts of scripture where God's people commit sin and they experience some form of discipline as a result. And what's interesting or what's unfortunate is when we, when we engage in sin, when we let sin reside, it puts us further and further away from God. And it creates this need to be restored. Think about it. When Adam and Eve was in the garden and they had all that they needed and yet they fell and great was their fall. And there became now a need for them and all of creation to be brought back to God. When Israel sins while they're in the land and they continue to follow and worship false idols, when they continue to engage in impression and injustice, they fall from God and now they must go into exile. And as such, there is a need for restoration. And the reality is, brothers and sisters, 
Sin is costly. Sin, whether it's our own sin or whether it's the result or whether we suffer from the result of others sinning against us, sin is costly. It does great damage to our hearts and to our minds. And Micah is reminding or he is actually telling the folks that as a result of their sin, they are placing themselves, if you will, in a need to be restored. If we tell the truth, brothers and sisters, we talk about restoration in a variety of ways. Some of us are physically tired. Some of us are mentally or emotionally tired. Some of us are spiritually worn out. Some of us have all of that intertwined together, and we find ourselves in need of restoration. And the reality is different reasons can be asserted for whatever situation we find ourselves in, but at the root of our problems, at the root of our difficult situations is the fact that sin, whether from the fall, whether from our own personal sin, whether from us, again, suffering from the result of someone else's sin, sin lies at the root. And I believe Micah, I believe the Israelites would say to us this morning, they would remind us and they would warn us of the dangerous consequences and results of sin. And so, brothers and sisters, let us take to heart. Let us not glide over. Let us not run quickly past the issue of sin and its consequences. Now, having said that, I also want us to understand God as a disciplinarian, but also God as a restorer. God as a disciplinarian and also God as a restorer. I said a little bit earlier, the Assyrians are not in control here. The Babylonians are not in control here. God is fully in control. And Micah and all of the other prophets are very careful to remind the people that their situations and their predicaments come not, again, because of the Assyrians, not because of the Babylonians, but because our sovereign God is disciplining his people as a result of their sin. But the prophets also do a wonderful job in reminding the people that God is not just a disciplinarian. He is not just a punisher of sin but he is a restorer of sin. Of, of sin. And, and, and the reason I think this is important to be mindful of, because, and I've had someone even in my own church in, in times past bring this up, and this was a, a predicament in some circles in the early church. There were some who actually believed that there was a different God in the Old Testament, and there's a different God in the New Testament. There were some who actually believed that. And they would say, how can this God in the Old Testament be so ruthless? How can he be so, so 
just and, and all about punishing sin. And he doesn't seem to be the same God of the New Testament where he seems to be one of grace. And it totally, totally uh, misrepresents the full character and nature of a holy God. And sometimes we have to be careful of that. Sometimes we're so, we're, 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 we're so intertwined with grace and mercy, and, and we should embrace grace and mercy, but, but we, we, we sometimes take it for granted. And we forget that we have a holy God, a God who hates sin who hates injustice, who hates it with a passion. But then there are some of us who are so fearful and so caught up with the fact that God does hate sin that we fail to remember that he is a gracious and loving and kind father. And it's not a contradictory for him to be both. And this is the God that the prophets preach one who disciplines for sin, but also one who restores. And this is good news, brothers and sisters. Whenever we fall into the hands of a holy God, whenever we find ourselves disciplined, we can rest assured that he will also restore. I grew up in a household where there was one parent who was the disciplinarian, and there was one parent who was the restorer. <laughs> I knew which one not to play with. And I knew which one to kind of, I don't want to say get over on. But, 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 but. But and, and I don't I don't I don't slight them for this. And then my father, grew up, who's passed now, but who grew up in the military, uh, he was a military guy. Older brothers who were in military, so he was rah 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 military. And sometimes he could go a little too far with that. It's Saturday, Dad. Why do I have to get up so early in the morning? Let me rest. <laughs> no, you got yard work to do. Okay. And, and, and he would be the type, he would discipline, and he would say, you're on punishment. And he wouldn't say for how long. <laughs> you can't go outside. You can't, we didn't have phones. Well, you couldn't talk on the, the house phone. You couldn't do any of that. But you couldn't go ask him, when can I get off of punishment? But my mother, she realized that sometimes she might have went a little too far. And so she, and I'm not, I'm not promoting, this is not parental skills, trying to promote any of that. <laughs> Me and my wife, we don't do these things, I don't think, in our house. But she, she knew how hard he can be, so she would kind of slide in some grace. Don't tell your dad, but... <laughs> but in God... In our Father, we have one who disciplines rightly and justly. We go to him as well for our restoration. So let us understand, as the prophets are communicating, as Micah is saying, that this same God who is going to send you all into exile, it's this same God who's also going to restore you. So let's understand him as both and not dichotomize him. 
and medicine. The next point, what is the bridge between discipline and restoration? This is where our text becomes the brightest. It is this ruler who will come in and bridge the gap. Think about it like this. The people have committed grievous sins. They have done wrong and they have taken advantage of God's grace. He's loved on them. He's delivered them. He's provided for them abundantly. And yet they continue to tread upon his grace. And so now they must go into exile. And how is it that they are going to get out? It's not going to be by their own actions. It's not going to be by anything uh, uh, in and of themselves. They will not be able, they will not be strong enough to deliver themselves. So who bridges, what bridges the gap between God's discipline and God's restoration? It is this ruler. It is this ruler. I mean, think about it, brothers and sisters house is on fire and, 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 and you obviously want to, to put the fire out. Well, who is it that we call? We call on the fire department. We have or we're struggling with our health, our physical health, and, and who is it that at face value we run to? We go to the doctors or medicine of some sort. But who or what can bridge the gap when our souls, when our spirits are far from God? What can, can satisfy the wrath of a holy God? It is not, Micah does not say, you are going to go into exile, and once you get there, just keep the law, make sure you sacrifice Make sure you pray. Make sure you do all of these things. And if you do them well enough, then you will be brought out of exile. No, 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 no. Even in their horrible predicament, our God extends his grace and he sends forth a ruler to redeem the people. This is why I like what Michael said a little bit earlier as it relates to the confession of sin. He says, God does not say, get yourself right. God does not say, fix yourself up. And then you can come into my presence. We failed that ship a long time ago. But praise be to God that there is a Savior who comes and does what we cannot do. Brothers and sisters, as I conclude, the question becomes, who is this great ruler? Now, of course, we look at it in its messianic context, and we see Christ. There's also questions about a partial fulfillment. So, for example, the people did come up out of physical exile, and they came up out of uh, physical exile initially up under Zerubbabel. You can read that in Ezra and Nehemiah's story. All of those folks are uh, part of the same context. You can see his story, uh, Zerubbabel, also in Zechariah and uh, Haggai. All of them are around the same time. 
But there are some who say the partial fulfillment is found in Zerubbabel's time as he leads the people under Cyrus into the land. But then there's the messianic fulfillment. And of course, that's where Matthew recites this verse and Christ being born. But then there's others who look at an eschatological fulfillment of this prophecy. When Christ comes back for his next advent to totally and fully redeem the church. Brothers and sisters, there is good news even in the midst of difficulty. And I want to challenge you and I want to challenge myself and, and, and reminding that whenever I find myself in difficult times and trying times, am I running to the one who restores? Am I running to the deliverer? And if I'm to confess, there are times where I do not. Sometimes I put people, sometimes I put things in the place where the Savior alone should be. Oh, maybe it's my spouse who will fix this situation. Maybe it's this book that will fix this situation. And yes, God provides wonderful tools to aid us. But brothers and sisters, what happens when none of those things gets the job done? And these folks in Micah's day were going to be put in a predicament where nothing they could do, nothing could work. And it would require this ruler, this savior alone. What is going to fix our conditions before God? What's going to fix broken communities and broken cities? What's going to fix broken relationships? What's, what will fix these things? I am one who believes, and I believe I would have some witnesses here, that Christ will play a part in all of this. And as a result, we must run to him and look to him. And I would remind you of the benefits of having Christ as your ruler. In verse number three, as a matter of fact, the people will return to the land. In verse number four, the folks will dwell secure. In other words, they will be firmly rooted. And in verse uh, number five, the people will be, uh, Christ will be their peace. In other words, they will not have to worry about being demolished or sent off again. In other words, brothers and sisters, this ruler that is being prophesied about, not only is he a restorer, but he is a great and awesome ruler. And I don't know if there's someone who does not know Christ in here. I don't know if there's someone who has drifted away. But I would say to you, on this morning, that Christ is still at the door. I would say that Christ stands at the door, ready to restore, ready to redeem, and he will do what you cannot do yourself. He will do what no pastor can do. 
I hear a lot of folks who are fed up with church. And in some cases, rightly so. Pastors have failed them. Elders have failed them. Other members in the church have failed them. But this ruler will not fail them. This ruler will not fail you. He will not fail me. And so, brothers and sisters, I would challenge you and I would encourage you on this morning, as Micah is encouraging the people, that there will be restoration from their difficult and trying times. Whatever your difficult and trying times may, uh, may currently be, whether the result of personal sin or whatever it may be, know that we have a restorer, and he will restore to the fullest. So lay your hope upon Christ alone. And as you do, let us expect restoration to the fullest. Let us pray. Father, we are so encouraged this morning to know that even in the midst of discipline, even in the midst of exile, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, even in the midst of weariness, Lord, you are able, and not only able, but you will restore your people. We thank you so much, Father, that you will do this in Christ. And Father, help us as a church to always keep Christ at the forefront. Whenever we are being disciplined, whenever we are struggling, whenever we are falling or felling, Father, help us to be mindful of the fact that what you have begun, you will complete it. And when we are tempted to rely upon our own works, when we are tempted to rely upon our own expertise or education or resources, remind us, Lord, that there is but one Redeemer. And as we rest and look to him, Father, may we find the peace, may we find the security that our hearts and our minds so desperately seek for. Thank you, Lord, for this great ruler. Thank you for Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.